Around two-thirds of all people with dementia are looked after and cared for by their relatives. This task brings many challenges. This often affects not only the direct contact with the patients, but also the contact with authorities, neighbors and friends or other family members. Caring relatives also have many positive experiences and experience themselves sometimes from a completely new side. Read in the current issue how relatives of people with dementia can receive specific support and can always draw strength for everyday life. When you feel sad, you think that it will last forever. When sadness does not go away, it is called depression, which means there is a serious problem that you are worried about. There are many reasons why people feel sad. Loss of a family member, friend or pet can bring weeks or even months of sadness. When you are sad, you feel the world is dark and unfriendly, you are hurt deep inside, you feel your heart and spirit are crushed. When the sad emotions go away, it feels like a heavy blanket has been lifted from your heart. Instead of trying to bring people back to reality, Caregivers are advised to empathize and establish an emotional connection. Alzheimer's disease is usually depicted as mainly a disease that affects memory and thinking, partly because memory lapses are so noticeable during the beginning of the disease. People in the early stages of the disease start to lose things, forget once familiar faces, and struggle to recall recent events. Other cognitive problems soon develop, including a shortened attention span, difficulties with language, and an inability to think logically. In the later stages, people may completely lose the ability to speak. Eventually, much of what we consider conscious thought disappears. But emotional aspects of the disease may be just as important, especially to the friends and family who serve as caregivers. On the negative side, Alzheimer's sufferers may have feelings of anger, anxiety, depression, fear, and loneliness. On the positive side, they may feel serene and joyful, and are especially capable of living in the moment. Joanne Koenig-Kost, an influential Alzheimer's disease activist-turned-consultant, believes that wandering, aggression, and other behavioral changes seen in people with Alzheimer's disease are the direct consequence of feelings that arise because of their cognitive difficulties. In her book Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, she calls it a disease of the emotions. Is it childhood in reverse in the 1980s? Barry Riceberg, a New York University neurologist, divided the progression of Alzheimer's disease into stages that correspond to child development, but in reverse. So, for example, the people in the 7E stage who can no longer smile are at the same stage of development as infants who are 8 to 16 weeks old. A 6B patient who can no longer bathe without assistance is like a 4-year-old. And so on and so forth. Riceberg coined the term retrogenesis to describe the phenomenon. Brain scans and other studies have found that it does have a physiological basis. Some Alzheimer's disease experts dislike the analogy, fearing that it will lead to loss of dignity, and treatment that is inappropriate for adults. On the other hand, Alzheimer's disease patients seem to enjoy simple childlike activities like playing with a ball or modeling clay. Moreover, the advice to show empathy and boost self-esteem echoes the advice given to parents and caregivers of young children. An emphasis on the emotional life of sufferers is a major theme in the growing number of books directed at caregivers. These advice books still have practical tips on everything from financial planning to meal presentation, use bowls instead of plates, to clothing, no zippers or buttons. But they also have pointers on improving the interpersonal dynamics between caregivers and people with the disease. For example, refers often to the need for protecting and bolstering self-esteem. Frequently that means being non-judgmental and devising ways to accommodate cognitive deficits without drawing attention to them. 
People with the disease seem to have strong emotional memories, even from recent events, long after they've lost the ability to form less emotionally charged ones. As a consequence, caregivers are urged to show affection and connect at an emotional level even if the person can't remember who you are. Support for this approach comes mainly from anecdotes, personal experience, and the memoirs of Alzheimer's patients in the early stages of the disease, they are usually written with the help of a caregiver. Although behavioral interventions have been tested in clinical trials, there is not much in the way of rigorous scientific evidence to go on. Yet Cost and other authors and advocates are persuasive when they argue that successful navigation of the emotional needs of Alzheimer's patients is essential to effective, humane care. Dealing with emotions is very important to your health. It's all very well to say that we must deal with these feelings, but how do we go about doing so? Dealing with our feelings is facing, accepting and working through them. We will always have emotions, so we have to learn to deal with them. If repressed, they will find a way to come out as in depression, anxieties, panic, eating disorders to name but a few. Enter their world. People with Alzheimer's disease sometimes have delusions challenging these delusions may only make them feel threatened and insecure. Instead, you should acknowledge the underlying emotion and perhaps redirect their thinking. Say a patient falsely accuses someone of stealing a wallet or pocketbook. Paul Ryer, Director of Patient Care and Family Support for the Massachusetts Chapter of the Alzheimer's Association, says you might respond by saying you must feel terrible that your pocketbook is missing. Let's go look for it. If she talks about her dead mother as if she were still alive, rather than disabuse her, you might say, your mother sounds like a lovely person. Tell me about her. Sometimes entering this world means just playing along. In her book, Cost tells a wonderful story about her husband, who developed Alzheimer's at a relatively young age, feverishly scrubbing the Teflon off a frying pan. Instead of scolding him for ruining it, she congratulated him on a fine cleaning job. Protect their self-esteem. Caregivers are often told to break down and simplify tasks for Alzheimer's sufferers. But if you do too much for the person, you may cause anger and frustration by making him feel more helpless and disabled than he really is. You have to consider safety, too, you can't let him drive just because he wants to. Striking the right balance helping and protecting without seeming to condescend or belittle is difficult, especially as the abilities of the person change from day to day while slowly declining. At one time or another we all experience strong feelings that accompany positive or negative emotions. A day without feeling emotions would be impossible to imagine. Each day we feel dozens of emotions, the excitement of going on holidays, the fear of flying, or the grief of losing a family member. If we tried to list all of the words in the English language to describe emotions, we would end up with hundreds of them. One thing for sure, we do feel many of them in our everyday life. We usually have no problem identifying the emotion that we are experiencing at a given time. We will take you on an interactive journey through your body to learn more about your emotions. Learning to Speak Alzheimer's by Joanne Koenig Cost. Talking to Alzheimer's by Claudia J. Strauss are some referral books to read. This is one of the central pieces of advice in Daniel Kuhn's Alzheimer's early stages. Someone has to start making decisions and assuming responsibility for the person with Alzheimer's disease. Especially if that person is your parent, this change may involve an uncomfortable, volatile reversal of power. It's yet another difficult balancing act, you must take charge while minimizing people's disabilities and maximizing their strengths. Don't make them wait. A shortened attention span can make waiting even a few minutes trying for people with Alzheimer's. They become impatient, 
agitated, even aggressive. Sometimes their problems with bathing, grooming, or eating are the result of waiting for a caregiver to get organized, not the activity itself. Avoid overstimulation. With the best of intentions, caregivers often want to include loved ones in family gatherings, especially during the holidays. But many people with Alzheimer's disease are sensitive to sound, especially several sounds at once. A raucous family event can be overwhelming. You might consider a smaller gathering with just one or two people instead. Other strategies include limiting visits to a couple of hours and setting aside time for a nap. Turning off the television and lowering the volume of music while people are talking and eating is another kindness. Keep the person physically active. People with early disease have said that vigorous exercise seems to sharpen their thinking and settle them down emotionally. Moreover, Alzheimer's disease and depression often go hand in hand, and numerous studies have shown that exercise is good for depression. In a study published in 2003 in the Journal of the American Medical Association, University of Washington researchers showed that exercise, combined with lessons in behavior management for caregivers, improved physical health and relieved depression in Alzheimer's sufferers. Sing a tune. People with Alzheimer's disease usually remain able to enjoy music even in the later stages of the disease. Studies show that if you sing to them, they respond especially well, becoming more communicative, less aggressive, and less likely to scream. In a study published in 2003, researchers at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden found that both caregiver singing and background music had positive effects on late-stage patients. They sat up straighter, their movements became stronger and more regular, and their awareness improved. Singing by caregivers was especially effective in drawing them out. Don't shout. Hearing is not the problem. Speak in a calm, even, and warm tone of voice. Don't carry on a conversation with someone else as if the person wasn't there. It's understandable that this happens when communication seems impossible, but people with experience in caring for Alzheimer's patients say that patients notice and resent the fact that they are being treated as if they didn't exist. One complaint of people at the early stages of the disease is that doctors talk to family members rather than to them, even when they are present. Use common, simple words. But avoid too many pronouns. The person may get confused about who he, she, and we are referring to. Use leading statements rather than open-ended questions. Would you like a cup of coffee? Is better than what would you like to drink? But a simple, inviting statement like let's have a cup of coffee is even better. Make eye contact, touch the person, be conscious of your body language. Nonverbal cues become increasingly important as the disease erodes language-oriented thought. Because these cues are so important, Talking on the telephone is often a poor substitute for being there in person. Say things that express positive emotions explicitly. In talking to Alzheimer's, Claudia J. Strauss suggests some lovely things you might say as you're leaving after a visit. I enjoyed this so much, I always feel good after talking to you, and seeing you is the best part of my day. All of these statements send a strong emotional message. Make the most out of the last word. According to Alzheimer's disease expert Joanne Koenig-Kost, sufferers will often latch onto the last word in a statement, probably because it's the easiest though. Need to remember. If you ask, would you like to wear the green or the blue shirt? Only the word shirt may stick in the person's mind, and you won't get an answer. But Kost says care partners, a term she prefers to caregivers, can turn this tendency to their advantage. Ask would you like to wear this green shirt today or the one that's blue? and the person will say blue. 
she feels as though she has decided for herself rather than being told what to wear, but the choice has been made so easy that she feels little anxiety about it. A new University of Iowa study further supports an inescapable message, caregivers have a profound influence good or bad on the emotional state of individuals with Alzheimer's disease. Patients may not remember a recent visit by a loved one or having been neglected by staff at a nursing home, but those actions can have a lasting impact on how they feel. The findings of this study are published in the journal Cognitive and Behavioral Neurology. UI researchers showed individuals with Alzheimer's disease clips of sad and happy movies. The patients experienced sustained states of sadness and happiness despite not being able to remember the movies. This confirms that the emotional life of an Alzheimer's patient is alive and well, says lead author Edmarie Guzman-Velez, a doctoral student in clinical psychology, a Dean's Graduate Research Fellow, and a National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellow. Guzman Velez conducted the study with De Neil Trinell, UI professor of neurology and psychology, and Justin Feinstein, assistant professor at the University of Tulsa in the Laureate Institute for Brain Research. Trinell and Feinstein published a paper that predicted the importance of attending to the emotional needs of people with Alzheimer's, which is expected to affect as many as 16 million people in the United States by 2050 and cost an estimated $1.2 trillion. It's extremely important to see data that support our previous prediction, Trinell says. Research has immediate implications for how we treat patients and how we teach caregivers. Despite the considerable amount of research aimed at finding new treatments for Alzheimer's, no drug has succeeded at either preventing or substantially influencing the disease's progression. Against this foreboding backdrop, the results of this study highlight the need to develop new caregiving techniques aimed at improving the well-being and minimizing the suffering for the millions of individuals afflicted with Alzheimer's. For this behavioral study, Guzman Velez and her colleagues invited 17 patients with Alzheimer's disease and 17 healthy comparison participants to view 20 minutes of sad and then happy movies. These movie clips triggered the expected emotion, sorrow and tears during the sad films and laughter during the happy ones. About five minutes after watching the movies, the researchers gave participants a memory test to see if they could recall what they had just seen. As expected, the patients with Alzheimer's disease retain significantly less information about both the sad and happy films than the healthy people. In fact, four patients were unable to recall any factual information about the films, and one patient didn't even remember watching any movies. Before and after seeing the films, participants answered questions to gauge their feelings. Patients with Alzheimer's disease reported elevated levels of either sadness or happiness for up to 30 minutes after viewing the films despite having little or no recollection of the movies. Quite strikingly, the less the patients remembered about the films, the longer their sadness lasted. While sadness tended to last a little longer than happiness, both emotions far outlasted the memory of the films. The fact that forgotten events can continue to exert a profound influence on a patient's emotional life highlights the need for caregivers to avoid causing negative feelings and to try to induce positive feelings. Our findings should empower caregivers by showing them that their actions toward patients really do matter, Guzman Velez says. Frequent visits and social interactions, exercise, music, dance, jokes, and serving patients their favorite foods are all simple things that can have a lasting emotional impact on a patient's quality of life and subjective well-being. Initial mild forgetfulness. Confusion with names and simple mathematical problems. Forgetfulness to do simple everyday tasks, 
brushy. On their teeth problem speaking, understanding, reading and writing behavioral and personality changes aggressive, anxious, or aimless behavior. Alzheimer's disease advances in stages, ranging from mild forgetfulness to severe dementia. The cause of the disease and the rate of decline varies from person to person. The duration from onset of symptoms to death can be from 5 to 20 years. Currently, there is no effective treatment for AD that can halt the progression. However, some experimental drugs have shown promise in easing symptoms in some patients. Medications can help control behavioral symptoms, making patients more comfortable and easier to manage for caregivers. Still other research efforts focus on alternative care programs that provide relief to the caregiver and support for the patient. Coping with dementia-related emotional problems. Anger and frustration. Depression. Anxiety and clinging. Mood swings. Other tips for handling emotional distress. Coping with dementia-related behavioral problems. Refusing help. Hoarding. Repetition. Sleeplessness, sleep disturbances. Sundowning. Swearing. Wandering. Incontinence. Aggressive behavior. Accusing. Handling behavioral challenges. Many people find the changes in behavior caused by Alzheimer's to be the most challenging and distressing effect of the disease. The chief cause of behavioral symptoms is the progressive deterioration of brain cells. However, medication, environmental influences and some medical conditions also can cause these symptoms or make them worse. In early stages, people may experience behavior and personality changes such as irritability anxiety depression in later stages, other symptoms may occur including Aggression and anger anxiety and agitation general emotional distress physical or verbal outbursts restlessness, pacing, shredding paper or tissues hallucinations, seeing, hearing or feeling things that are not really there, delusions, firmly held belief in things that are not true, sleep issues and sundowning. Events or changes in a person's surroundings often play a role in triggering behavioral symptoms. Change can be stressful for anyone and can be especially difficult for a person with Alzheimer's disease. It can increase the fear and fatigue of trying to make sense out of an increasingly confusing world. Situations affecting behavior may include Difficulty with communication Moving to a new residence or nursing home Changes in a familiar environment or caregiver arrangements Misperceived threats Admission to a hospital Being asked to bathe or change clothes Identifying what has triggered a behavior can often help in selecting the best approach to deal with it. Medical evaluation for contributing factors. Everyone who develops behavior changes should receive a thorough medical evaluation, especially if symptoms appear suddenly. Even though the chief cause of behavioral symptoms is the effect of Alzheimer's disease on the brain, an examination may reveal other treatable conditions that are contributing to the behavior. Because people with Alzheimer's gradually lose the ability to communicate, it's important to regularly monitor their comfort and anticipate their needs. Contributing conditions may include Drug side effects Many people with Alzheimer's take prescription medications for other health issues. Drug side effects or interactions among drugs can affect behavior. Discomfort from infections or other conditions as the disease gets worse, those with Alzheimer's have increasing difficulty communicating with others about their experience. As a result, they may be unable to report symptoms of common illnesses. Pain from infections of the urinary tract, 
ear or sinuses may lead to restlessness or agitation. Discomfort from a full bladder, constipation, or feeling too hot or too cold also may be expressed through behavior. Uncorrected problems with hearing or vision. These can contribute to confusion and frustration and foster a sense of isolation. Non-drug approaches. Non-drug approaches to managing behavior symptoms promote physical and emotional comfort. Many of these strategies aim to identify and address needs that the person with Alzheimer's may have difficulty expressing as the disease progresses. Non-drug approaches should always be tried first. Steps to developing successful non-drug treatments include Recognizing that the person is not just acting mean or ornery, but is having further symptoms of the disease. Identifying the C cause and how the symptom may relate to the experience of the person with Alzheimer's. Changing the environment to resolve challenges and obstacles to comfort, security and ease of mind. Coping tips. Monitor personal comfort. Check for pain, hunger, thirst, constipation, full bladder, fatigue, infections and skin irritation. Maintain a comfortable room temperature. Avoid being confrontational or arguing about facts. For example, if a person expresses a wish to go visit a parent who died years ago, don't point out that the parent is dead. Instead, say, your mother is a wonderful person. I would like to see her too. Redirect the person's attention. Try to remain flexible, patient and supportive by responding to the emotion, not the behavior. Create a calm environment. Avoid noise, glare, insecure space and too much background distraction, including television. Allow adequate rest between stimulating events. Provide a security object. Acknowledge requests, and respond to them. Look for reasons behind each behavior. Consult a physician to identify any causes related to medications or illness. Explore various solutions. Don't take the behavior personally, and share your experiences with others. Our online social networking community can also help you. Join ALS Connected and learn tips for coping with a loved one's behavior and find support from other caregivers. Medications for behavioral symptoms. If non-drug approaches fail after being applied consistently, introducing medications M may be appropriate for individuals with severe symptoms or who have the potential to harm themselves or others. While prescription medications can be effective in some situations, they must be used carefully and are most effective when combined with non-drug approaches. When considering use of medications, it is important to understand that no drugs are specifically approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration FDA, to treat behavioral and psychiatric dementia symptoms. Some of the examples discussed below represent off-label use, a medical practice in which a physician may prescribe a drug for a different purpose than the ones for which it is approved. Guiding Principles The following general principles can help guide appropriate use of medications. Know the risks and benefits. It's important to understand the potential benefits and risks of a medication before making treatment decisions. Target a specific symptom. Effective treatment of one core symptom may help relieve other symptoms. For example, some antidepressants may help people sleep better. Start with a low dose of a single drug and monitor closely for side effects. Side effects can be serious, and drugs can occasionally even worsen the symptom being treated. Dosage should not be increased without a careful evaluation by a healthcare professional. Learn more, Alzheimer's Association Statement Regarding Treatment of Behavioral and Psychiatric Symptoms.
Some medications commonly used to treat behavioral and p-psychiatric symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, listed in alphabetical order by generic name, include the following. Antidepressants for low mood and irritability. Citalopram, Celexa, Fluoxetine, Prozac, Peroxine, Paxol, Sertraline, Zoloft, Trazodone, Deseril, Anxiolytics for Anxiety, Restlessness, Verbally Disruptive Behavior and Resistance. Loazepam, Ativan, Oxazepam, Cirax, Antipsychotic Medications for Hallucinations, Delusions, Aggression, Agitation, Hostility and Uncooperativeness. Aeropiprazole, Abilify. Clozapine, Clozaril. Haloperidol, Haldol. Olanzapine, Zaprexa. Quetiapine, Seroquel. Risperidone, Risperdal. Ziprazidone, Geodon. Antipsychotic medications. The decision to use an antipsychotic drug needs to be considered with extreme caution. Research has shown that these drugs are associated with an increased risk of stroke and death in older adults with dementia. The FDA has ordered manufacturers to label such drugs with a black box warning about their risks and a reminder that they are not approved to treat dementia symptoms. Based on scientific evidence, as well as governmental warnings and guidance from care oversight bodies, individuals with dementia should use antipsychotic medications only under one of the following conditions. Behavioral symptoms are due to mania or psychosis. The symptoms present a danger to the person or others. The person is experiencing inconsolable or persistent distress, a significant decline in function or substantial difficulty receiving needed care. Antipsychotic medications should not be used to sedate or restrain persons with dementia. The minimum dosage should be used for the minimum amount of time possible. Adverse side effects require careful monitoring. Although antipsychotics are the most frequently used medications for agitation, some physicians may prescribe a seizure medication slash mood stabilizer, such as carbamazepine, Tegretol. The recent establishment of a professional interest area, PIA, within the International Society to Advance Alzheimer's Research and Treatment, ISTAT, devoted to the neuropsychiatric symptoms, NPS, of Alzheimer's is a sign of the emerging consensus among researchers and clinicians alike that these symptoms are major components of Alzheimer's disease, AD, and significant influences on both patient and caregiver quality of life, QOL. Indeed, neuropsychiatric symptoms such as apathy, depression, aggression, agitation, sleep disruption, and psychosis are now recognized as core symptoms of AD that are expressed to varying degrees throughout the course of the illness. In addition to providing insight into AD pathology, specific neuropsychiatric and behavioral anomalies during the early prodromal phase of mild cognitive impairment, MCI may have prognostic values. For example, late-life depression increases AD risk by twofold. In this review, the major neuropsychiatric and behavioral symptoms of AD are reviewed with emphasis on how these symptoms may illuminate disease pathogenesis or provide prognostic information. Alzheimer's dementia is the end result of multiple pathogenic processes including aberrant amyloid processing, changes in lipid metabolism due to apolipoprotein E, APOE, risk alleles, tau hypophosphorylation, protein misfolding and endoplasmic reticulum, ER, stress, vascular dysfunction, oxidative stress and mitochondrial dysfunction, neurotrophic factor dysregulation, disrupted leptin signaling, fibrin clots, and processes mediated by a myriad of other AD-associated gene, 
and the pathogenic processes also occurred in major neuropsychiatric symptoms. It is likely that these processes target non-overlapping neural networks, accounting for difference in disease progression and the variability in neuropsychiatric symptoms. Possible mechanism linking the neuropsychiatric symptoms, NPS, with ADN such as depression, apathy, aggression, and psychosis shared some pathogenic processes, in red color, with AD, while they also have their unique pathogenic processes. The neuropsychiatric symptoms and behavioral anomalies of AD have a significant impact on patient call and are thought to be predictive of eventual, or more severe, dementia, more extensive neurodegeneration, loss of functional independence and institutionalization, and early death. Thus, there is general agreement that these neuropsychiatric symptoms and behavioral anomalies are predictive of poor outcome, although symptom incidence, progression, and prognostic significance e are highly variable across studies, possibly due to the different neuropsychiatric instruments used or clinical definitions. Moreover, despite recent identification of non-invasive biomarkers related to AD and advances in imaging AD-associated plaques, AD is still a diagnosis that can only be confirmed at autopsy, so most such studies relate neuropsychiatric symptoms to presumed AD. Another uncertainty is whether these neuropsychiatric and behavioral abnormalities such as depression and psychosis are etiologically similar in patients with and without AD or constitute clinical entities unique to Alzheimer's disease. Depression is a common comorbidity in AD, with prevalence estimates ranging from 25% to 74.9% in a group of recent studies. This variability is likely due to the multitude of instruments used for diagnosis, including the DSEM. Neuropsychiatric Inventory Depression Subscale, NPID, and Geriatric Depression Scale, GDS. Indeed, one study reported rates in the same cohort of 10.5% using the NPID, significant, 56.4% based on the NPID, any, 30% based on the Geriatric Depression Scale, GDS, and 16% based on antidepressant usage. A French network on AD, real.fr. Study following several hundred Alzheimer's disease patients without depression or antidepressant use over four years reported an incidence of 17.45% year. Thus, about 40% of AD patients are expected to show symptoms of clinical depression within five years. Moreover, voluminous evidence indicates that Alzheimer's disease with depression results in worse clinical outcome. Based on studies in depressed non-AD populations, early studies on the pathophysiology of depression in AD focused on serotonergic transmission. One of the earliest studies reported an association between major depression in Alzheimer's disease at baseline and 5-height and 5-height receptor polymorphisms, with CC carriers of the 5-height C102 allele five times more likely than heterozygotes in 5-height allele carriers 12 times more likely than 5-height, 2C, cis allele carriers to develop depression. Moreover, reduced 5-height, 1A, receptor expression was specifically correlated with depressive symptoms. In contrast, Pritchard and colleagues found no significant association between depression in AD and either the C allele-slash-CC genotype of the T102C variant of 5-HT, 2A, or the CIS-23-SER variant of 5-HT. 2C, receptor, although these alleles were associated with psychosis and aberrant motor behavior. Moreover, no association was found between depression in AD and alleles of the serotonin transporter, SERT. Similarly, 
Although CERT expression was reduced in the frontal cortex of AD patients, there was no difference in expression in patients with or without comorbid depression. It is possible that serotonergic dysfunction may be heterogeneous among brain regions across patients, accounting for these differences in association. In addition to five-height signaling, elderly subjects destined to exhibit signs of major depression were more likely to harbor the GG genotype of the tumor necrosis factor, TNF-alpha-308, GA, SNP variant, implicating inflammation and late-onset MD. Early studies also examined the relationship between depression and molecules implicated in general Alzheimer's disease pathology, particularly A-beta and APO4. The strongest risk allele for AD early onset depression was associated with a higher serum A-beta-40-A-beta-42 ratio, suggesting that depression may be associated with AD pathogenesis. One early small sample study found no association between apogenotype and depression in Alzheimer's, although subsequent studies have demonstrated that apogenotype can modify the effects of other genes associated with the neuropsychiatric symptoms of AD. A higher serum concentration of A-beta at baseline predicted both depression and AD over five years suggesting shared etiology. Plasma GABA was positively correlated with depression and apathy scores on the NPI in Alzheimer's patients. In addition to gene association studies, the pathogenesis of AD has also been examined by various neuroimaging modalities, which have revealed morphological and metabolic signs of neurodegeneration in the Alzheimer's brain specifically associated with depression. Compared to non-depressed AD patients, those with depression exhibited hypoperfusion in the left frontal lobe on single photon emission computed tomography, SPECT, images and reduced glucose metabolism in the dorsolateral prefrontal regions as revealed by 18-fluorodeoxyglucose PET. Correlation analysis of brain SPECT and NPI score revealed a region in the left middle frontal gyrus, Brodmann area 9, specifically associated with depressive symptoms. Depression in AD has also been associated with specific neurochemical changes. GED scores but not agitation scores were correlated with choline-creatine ratio in left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Cortical atrophy associated with depression was observed in wide regions of the prefrontal cortex and temporal cortex and decreased gray matter volume in the left inferior temporal gyrus was confirmed in an independent study. Depressed AD patients also exhibited greater white matter atrophy in frontal temporal, and parietal lobes than AD patients without depressive symptoms. One study also reported lesions in the caudate nucleus and lentiform nucleus of AD patients with late-onset depression. Expansion of the lateral ventricles was also correlated with depression, general cognitive decline, and poor outcome. Thus, depression is associated with both gray and white matter atrophy, particularly in specific regions of the prefrontal cortex. However, it remains unclear if depression results from Alzheimer's or conversely if geriatric depression is a risk factor for AD. In the first case, depression may be a psychological response to AD or result from the same pathogenic processes that lead to the other symptoms of AD aberrant amyloid A-beta processing, tau hyperphosphorylation, etc. Depression in AD is associated with accelerated cortical regression and white matter atrophy, particularly in frontal and temporal areas. It has been proposed that AD-associated degeneration may eventually damage regions involved in regulation of mood, a finding consistent with the high rates of depression in severe AD nonetheless. Several genetic risk factors for major depression appear to increase the risk of depression in AD but not Alzheimer's without depression, so the emergence of depression may not be entirely dependent on AD pathogenesis. For example, 
the tryptophan hydroxylase 1, TPH1, A218C allele, monoamine oxidase A, MAOA, variable number tandem repeat, VNTR, and BDNF val 66 metallele were associated with depression in females with AD, with significantly increased likelihood of comorbid AD and depression in homozygous TPH1A allele and MAO VNTR carriers. In this same study, there was also a significant association between the chaperone FK506 binding protein 5, FKBP5, RS136078OSNP and depression in all AD patients. In addition, homozygous carriers of the RS1041054T allele of the SIRT2 gene, encoding a NAD-dependent deacetylase possibly involved in cell cycle regulation, may have reduced depression risk in AD aside from the VAL66 metallele of BDNF. The C allele of the SNP G11757C and the A allele of G196A were also more common in Alzheimer's patients with depression. One of the strongest associations with late onset AD and depression is that with the transforming growth factor 1, TGF1, gene the CC genotype of the plus 10 TC SNP was associated with AD and conferred a five-fold increase in depression in AD as well as an increase in depression severity. Finally, the presence of the APO4 allele increased depression in women with AD by fourfold. In contrast, another study reported that APO4 was associated with anxiety but not depression, while others have found no association between APO4 and neuropsychiatric symptoms. Whether depression increases Alzheimer's risk in premorbid or MCI patients is still a matter of debate. In an Italian study, newly diagnosed AD patients with persistent depression exhibited a greater cognitive decline over one year, and patients with incident depression demonstrated the greatest drop in cognitive function, while cognitive decline in cases with resolved depression was not different from non-depressed AD patients. Late-onset depression does increase the risk of progression to MCI but chronic depression was associated with only a modest increase in the risk of MCI to AD transition. Another Italian study reported that apathy but not depression was associated with MCI to AD transition. In contrast, the Honolulu Asia Aging Study using the Center for Epidemiological Studies Depression Scale, CESD, reported that depression was an independent risk factor for cognitive decline in AD. Moreover, the effect was independent of pathological progression, such as increases in the number density of neurofibrillary tangles, NTs, Lewy bodies, or ischemic lesions. These differences in the reported prognostic value of depression may depend on diagnostic criteria. For example, the Vienna Transdanube Beijing study did report an association with AD emergence over a five-year period in 75-year-old individuals with no history of depression, but only one of nine depression subsyndromes, loss of interest, was associated with AD risk. Another report concluded that depression does appear to increase the risk of transition from MCI to dementia, but this effect was stronger for all-cause dementia and vascular dementia than Alzheimer's or exclusive to vascular dementia. Regardless of this etiological relationship, it is clear that Alzheimer's-associated depression markedly reduces cognitive capacity, co, and activities of daily function, ADF. Thus, treatment of depressive symptoms is expected to benefit AD patients. However, there have been relatively few controlled clinical trials on antidepressant therapy for depression in AD and clinical response is generally poor to modest. The uncertain relationship between AD and depression undoubtedly arises in part from diagnostic uncertainty. As mentioned, AD is only confirmed at autopsy while estimates of depression vary marked depending on the instruments used. Furthermore, 
only certain depressive symptoms may be associated with Alzheimer's. In some, depression may be a modest risk factor in pre-morbid patients for additional reviews but when present it markedly reduces cognition, co, and ADLNAD patients. Apathy is defined by a cluster of motivational deficits such as loss of goal-directed cognition, action, and emotion. Like other neuropsychiatric symptoms associated with AD, persistent apathy is predictive of more rapid cognitive decline compared to AD without apathy. Apathy and depression are often comorbid. In one relatively large cohort, 255 patients, 47.9% of the study group had depression, 41.6% apathy, and 32.4% both, with smaller prevalence of depression and apathy alone, 15.4% and 9.4% RESP. A similar pattern has been reported in other studies, 23% depression only, 23% depression plus apathy, and 20% apathy only. This frequent comorbidity suggests shared etiology. Indeed, like depression, apathy is generally associated with hypofrontality as well as serum GABA. However, apathy was specifically correlated with hypometabolism in left orbitofrontal areas while depression was associated with hypometabolism in left dorsolateral prefrontal regions. Scores on the frontal assessment battery, FAB, for executive function are decreased by both apathy and depression alone, but the largest decrease was observed in comorbid patients. This hypofrontality has been correlated with Alzheimer's-associated pathogenesis. Retention of the 11C Pittsburgh compound B PIB under PET to reveal a beta plaques was higher in the bilateral frontal cortex of patients with apathy as determined by the NPI apathy subscale than in AD PAT ions without apathy, and apathy scores were positively correlated with PEEP signal in bilateral frontal and right anterior cingulate cortices. No correlations were found between PEEP and any other NPI subscale, including depression. This same study found no correlation between apathy and morphometric changes by MRI. A larger-scale study of the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative database found that cortical thinning in temporal cortex was associated with more severe apathy over time after correcting for multiple covariates such as sex, age, apogenotype, premorbid intelligence, memory performance processing speed, antidepressant use, and AD duration. Studies of white matter atrophy in AD patients with apathy have reported significantly reduced fractional anisotropy, FA, values in the genu of the corpus callosum, negative correlations between apathy scores and FA values in the left anterior and posterior cingulum, right superior longitudinal fasciculus, splenium, body and genu of the corpus callosum and bilateral uncinate fasciculus or right anterior cingulate cortex, right thalamus, and bilateral parietal cortex. Possible genetic associations specific for apathy have not been investigated as extensively as possible depression-associated genes. In AD patients, T allele carriers of the 3 UTR prion-like protein were more likely to exhibit apathy, although scores were increased for many other NPI subscales. While apathy is often comorbid with depression, Apathy and depression may have different prognostic significance. Apathy but not depression was strongly associated with the transition from MCI to AD. MCI patients with amnestic MCI and apathy were seven times more likely to progress to Alzheimer's compared to amnestic MCI patients without apathy after adjusting for covariates, including depression, while depression alone did not increase risk of transition. Also distinct from depression, Depression tends to stabilize during AD progression while apathy tends to increase.
The symptoms of Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias are typically memory-related, but mood and behavior swings also occur as the brain becomes increasingly worse at processing information. Dad's agitation and aggression. His famous personality still shines through, but those hopeful moments mix with scenes of aggression and angry outbursts. He never used to swear like this. A mere touch can set him off. He is suspicious, even accusing me, his own loving caregiver, of stealing. Is that why he is hiding things? When the sun sets, his confusion and anxiety worsen. Sleep is difficult, until it's morning and another day of activities begin. I don't know if he'll be better or worse because I can't control how he feels, the disease is doing that. It can be devastating for a person's lifestyle, day-to-day -day routine, and social life to be interrupted and altered permanently by cognitive decline. Depression results. Loss of communication ability, access to memories and gene alfunctionality result in a range of emotions including anger, frustration and anxiety. Dementia also causes suspicion because situations become difficult to understand. And the disease lowers a person's inhibitions in expressing emotions, resulting in outbursts or even spells of extreme laughter. Behavior and emotions are distinct, but often interrelated. Sleep disturbances may cause irritability, and hoarding is a result of anxiety. These emotional and behavioral changes are normal in the progression of dementia, and can even be considered common and predictable. Remember that the two are related, and that addressing one issue may help a multitude of others, treating anxiety, for instance, may aid problem sleeping. We hope to assist caregivers and others in understanding the basic, common emotional and behavioral problems experienced by people with dementia. Understanding the reasons behind emotional and behavioral problems is an important step toward helping your loved one and earning his slash her cooperation. Dementia is associated with a host of emotional issues. Problems stem from the direct effects of the disease on the brain, but also indirect sources, such as changes in living situations, routine, and social relationships. Common emotional problems experienced by people with dementia and their caregivers include, but are not limited to, the following. Anger often arises as a response to feeling frightened, frustrated, embarrassed, or humiliated. What might seem like random aggression could be the result of something in the environment. For instance, some caregivers report that their loved ones tend to act out in public. Visiting new places full of strangers can be frightening and overwhelming for individuals with dementia. Likewise, being surrounded by activity and noise can be distracting or upsetting. Some people with dementia may also get angry or frustrated when a caregiver tries to assist them because they can't successfully perform a task on their own. Caregivers should try breaking down complex tasks into smaller manageable steps to avoid overwhelming or frustrating loved ones with dementia. Focus on achieving each step before giving further instructions which may be hard to remember. Many caregivers find it helpful to give their loved ones a task that allows them to have a say in what is happening, even if it's merely deciding whether or not something is okay. Finally, if all else fails, give your loved one a chance to calm down in his slash her own time. Remember not to take it personally. The disease causes the behavior. Depression is common for individuals with dementia. The feeling of social isolation and loss of control that comes with the progression of dementia may contribute to depression and loneliness. It can sometimes be difficult for caregivers to distinguish depression from dementia because some of the symptoms are the same, like apathy, lack of interest, memory loss, or trouble sleeping. Watch for signifiers of demon tear depression. Depression with dementia is likely to involve change in mood, 
delusions, agitation, and anxiety, other symptoms usually associated with depression, such as guilt, suicidal thoughts, and low self-esteem are not as common. Caregivers concerned about a loved one's depression should talk to a doctor to determine if medical treatment or counseling is warranted. It is important that an evaluating physician be familiar with what depression looks like when paired with dementia. Caregiver input is also important in diagnosing this form of depression. Caregivers may also try to make more of an effort to keep their loved ones active and socially involved. Develop a list of your loved one's favorite activities, with consideration for what's physically possible. This list may change as the disease advances, so be flexible, updating as needed. Anxiety may be due to difficulty processing information and experiences, both new and old. New places and faces can be unsettling for individuals with dementia, especially as their memories of familiar places and faces fade away. Some people respond to anxiety by pacing, experiencing insomnia, or restlessness, others may choose to cling to familiar objects or individuals. The best thing caregivers can do for a person with dementia who feels anxious is to reassure and remind how much they care. Additionally, many caregivers find it helpful to come up with peaceful and distracting activities that their loved ones can focus on instead of worrying. For instance, if a person with dementia becomes anxious whenever a caregiver has to leave the house, the caregiver might try leaving notes telling where they are and when they will return. Sometimes people with dementia have mood swings because they are frustrated by a loss of abilities. Sometimes they are just scared, confused, or tired. Mood swings may also occur because an individual has pain, is too hot or cold, is hungry, or is bored. Other possible explanations include untreated psychiatric disorders, diet, caffeine, feeling rushed, clutter, noise and general overstimulation. Dementia may lower a person's inhibitions or filter. Due to brain changes, when it comes to expressing emotions, resulting in an increase in crying or angry outbursts. Try to accept that mood swings are caused by dementia and are not the individual purposely acting out. To lessen the severity of mood swings and make occurrences less frequent, knowing the individual's likes and dislikes is key. Know what calms the person down, what upsets him slash her, times of the day the individual is more likely to act out favorite music and activities, etc. This allows you to predict when mood problems might occur, do your best to avoid them, and if they do occur, know what might soothe the individual. Have a doctor assess your loved one for depression or other psychiatric problems, minimize distractions and noises, and be very patient. No rushing. For handling emotional distress during the natural course of Alzheimer's and other related dementias, it is common for your loved one to occasionally experience emotional distress. No simple way exists to improve things, but there are actions you can take to help your loved one handle emotions when they arise. Remember, you cannot control for your loved one's emotions, but you can control your own reactions to them. Reassurance, start by making your presence known. A simple touch can calm an upset person. However, touch may also trigger emotions for someone who is already aggravated. Try saying something like, I'm here, I will help you, 